They said it clearly says that I'm unmanageable. So I have an unmanageable personality. So, well, where does that leave me? So I, I knew early on that if I was going to be successful in the fields that I wanted to be successful in, I, I, have, I better have my own business because I'm probably not going to be one geared to other people's style of leadership or management. Had to create my own style. Sort of back then, not anymore, but the rules that I followed were the ones that I made up. Welcome to The Ziggler Show, where we inspire your true performance. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. Sometimes we go into business for ourselves because we have a unique product or service we want to bring to market. Sometimes we just find immense difficulty in working for others. Either case, we find ourselves in a place where we get to or must make up the rules. That's much the focus of today's show. Larry North is our guest. He's a Texas guy and a fan and friend of Ziegler who's spoken at Ziegler headquarters multiple times. Well, Larry started his first business at age 20, and it's not a simple story, which is just the kind we love to hear most. Larry was told he'd never be able to land a top career position and that his personality was unmanageable. So as you heard in the intro, he realized to have a great career, he'd have to own his own business and follow his own rules. Well, Larry had a vision and he had faith, but he really had no tangible resources, but he did start out the first of what became many health clubs. He also had a media career started shortly after that by arriving on talk radio where he performed for over 25 years. Shortly after that, his best-selling infomercial became one of the most popular weight loss infomercials ever. Three books, a chain of health clubs, thousands of TV appearances and live presentations here and abroad have turned Larry North into a household name in fitness, weight loss, and health. He continues to spread his motivational message and wisdom to dozens of Fortune 500 companies and just about anyone who will listen. We had a great conversation on just some nitty-gritty issues regarding his personal progress that I think we can all relate to. I found it really interesting. I mean, he's in the health club business, so he spends most of his time around people trying to make some of the hardest progress there is with their bodies, losing weight, gaining muscle. I mean, it takes commitment and it's probably not a more volatile industry out there from a humanity standpoint. It's a constant stream of good intent, excitement, and then successes, but then so many failures. You'll get a lot out of this show. You can check out more about Larry at LarryNorthFitness.com. So we'll start with Larry right after I bring you some great resources. Okay, friends, here then is Larry North and making your own rules. Well, Larry, it is a great honor to have you on the show. I know you've been a part of the Ziegler family in various capacities for a while, and you have a, a big Ziegler story. So just thrilled to have you here with us today. Um, let me tell you something. I just, the whole, uh, I've been like buzzing all week and, I just, you know, thrilled. And I've done, I've done some pretty impactful shows in my life. I've, I've been on Larry King Live. I did Joan Rivers' last show that she ever did. Wow. I was a guest on her show. I've done Donnie and Marie. Uh, I've done Today's Show. I've had some, but this is meaningful. This is really special to me. I've been really thrilled about doing this all week. Thank you for having me. Oh, I, it's, it's our honor. And, you know, I appreciate some of the stuff, some of the research that uh, Lori, who's with us here today, did on you. And I know that part of your fruition has been from, you know, helping people get strong and fit and whatever to now really living healthy, fulfilling lives, which as you know, that was the heart of Ziegler. So it's an appropriate time for us to be together. 
Absolutely. Well, t- tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know what? Let, let's go back before Zig even. I know that a big part of your personal journey uh, was a result of your upbringing and your dad was a specific role in kind of your trajectory. So tell us a little bit of the background of Larry. Yeah, uh, I, I can tell you. In fact, if you YouTube Irv North, you can see a five uh, and a half minute video that's been edited down when my father was profiled on 60 Minutes. Not once, but twice. First in 1976 and then in 86. Now, why was he profiled on 60 Minutes? He was considered one of the country's most degenerate compulsive gamblers. Now, my dad, if we go the Reader's Digest version, I mean, he, he grew up in, 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 a, in Brooklyn. His father was murdered when he was a baby. Uh, his mother spoke only Polish and Yiddish. Uh, therefore, my father basically grew up on the streets of Brooklyn and was a, Brooks, uh, a Brooklyn-type mobster individual. He looked it, he sounded it, and he played the part. So my dad spent a lot of time, unfortunately, in and out of prison, uh, never had a legitimate job till the very end of his life where he drove a cab in Vegas. But it got to the point where my mom had just, she just couldn't take, she was at that, literally at the edge of the cliff, wanting to jump off, not about to jump, wanting to jump off. She couldn't live this life anymore. I was a teenager and I had younger twin brothers. And so basically, my mom built up enough courage, me being old enough to help, finally to, to, to leave once and for all. And, and, and so we were in New York. And guess where we ended up going? Not Texas, but Las Vegas, Nevada. Wow. Now, why? Because Irv was banned from Vegas in the late 70s. And she felt that if we got there, that would be a safe place. Well, unfortunately, my mom, once we got there, decided no way is she going to raise her family in what she referred to as my father's temple. Mm. So we backtracked. Mom, where are we going to go? We don't know anyone. And we knew not to tell anybody where we would go because my dad was so resourceful. He'd find us and hunt us down and we'd be back to square one all over again. So basically, we decided to go to Houston at the time. In Houston, there was no legal gambling. We knew no one. And that was sort of the purpose, to start a fresh life. So for people that are familiar with Dallas, Texas, you can take uh, I-75, turns into 45, gets you to Houston. Our car imploded in Dallas. And we basically, honestly, never left. And a real interesting sidebar story to that. And we had nothing. We had no resources. We were eating 10-set hot dogs at a, at a mall that had just opened and ran out of everything. So my mom ended up going to First People's Baptist Church for some assistance. She even went to Jewish Family Services. So these religious organizations for a little bit of help, food, money, advice, maybe a job. And while she was gone, I found out through a, a coincidence that a friend in New York that I wasn't even supposed to call anybody, but I called this one friend to let him know we were safe. And all I said was, we're in Texas. We're safe. We're okay. He said, our neighbor, Joey, moved to, de- to Texas. I said, you got to be kidding me. Please get me the number. I'll call you back. I was on a pay phone. I call him back. Joey answers the phone. It turns out he was two miles from the hotel we were staying at. His mother says, you and your family are coming to our home for dinner. And, and by the time my mom got home, she was just so tired and worn out and beaten down from this journey. I said, mom, you're not going to believe this. The Morrow family, they live two miles from here. She goes, what do you mean they live two miles from here? They're from New York. I go, mom, it's a coincidence that they moved here the same time we did. So we, we show up to, to their house. My mom walks in and she turns white as a ghost. I said, mom, are you okay? She goes, son. That woman sitting on the sofa, 
That's the woman at the, at the First People's Baptist Church that helped me today. She, that's the same woman. She looks at the woman. She goes, what are you doing here? The woman goes, what are you doing here? The woman goes, my, my brother is Joe Morrow's business partner. And right then, my mother grabs my, my hand and she says, son, this is, this is where we were supposed to be. She goes, if there ever is a God, God wanted us here at this very moment. And and it was like we sort of knew that the journey, we had just gone 5,500 miles over a three-week period out of resources, out of everything. And here we are in the home of someone that we cared about and loved. Now, interesting sidebar story, I ended up being able to go to work for this man who taught Mm -hmm. me tremendous discipline in building swimming pools, construction, became a father figure. uh, And I was the best man at Joey's wedding. I'm family. If you look at my Facebook, all of the Moro family is my family. So it just, that's how we ended up in Dallas. So anyways, give you a little bit of, that's, that's the background of how we ended up in, in Dallas from a degenerate compulsive gambling in and out of prison father. And just, uh, you know, we, we, we were here now. And so that was many years ago. That's an uh, unbelievable story. And, and I know that you, from, from your dad's example, from what you dealt with with him, you decided you were going to go a different direction. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, here's the thing is, you know, my father, I remember being very young and I was so frustrated that we were poor, always having nothing, always having lack. And I must have yelled in frustration saying, I, why are we so poor? And my father said, son, let, he called me little Larry boy, little Larry boy. And I'm pretty big now, but, but he goes, little Larry boy, we're not poor. I said, well, what are we? He goes, we're broke. I said, well, what's the difference? He said, son, poor is a way of life. Broke is a temporary state. We're just broke. Now, in essence, my father unknowingly was changing the narrative. Yeah. We certainly were poor and we certainly lived that of a poor lifestyle. But in his mind, he changed the narrative. So when we had an opportunity to start our lives over again, I decided to change my narrative and, and utilize my upbringing as actually a strength, not a weakness, not feel that lack of anything would ever prevent me from living my dreams and goals. So where did you, was there a time period? Was it overtime? Was there a catalyst where you realized you're going along, you've got, you know, maybe you were in school, you're with other people and you realize I, I want more than the average. Not only I want to do a different trajectory than my dad did, but I want something more than the average. And you really started going after it. Yeah. It's at an extremely, even during with my father. So, hmm. so uh, I had something that kept popping up on every report card from first grade to sixth grade by every teacher I ever had, which was quite a few because we moved around a lot, not by choice, but usually my dad was either on the lamb or you know, either a bookmaker, a Shylock, uh, an, a, a police, a federal authority was always going to be after him at some point. So we had to basically pick up and move a lot. So I was always accused of daydreaming. Hmm. Now, what was I daydreaming? I was visualizing a better life. I was visualizing a happy home. I was visualizing a family that, that, that with, without uh, uh, you know, stress that was put upon unintentionally, uh, uh, happy, uh, happy animals, happy pets, uh, safe environment. So I visualized from a very early age uh, and didn't realize that I was using this, this power of thought 
Thought is powerful. Words are powerful. So I would always tell myself that I could basically achieve anything I wanted to. And so, so and this is at a very, very young age. Unfortunately and fortunately, I took on a sort of a, a head of household role at age 15, 16, mm-hmm. but that ingrained a very strong work ethic, uh, which was very valuable. So I would tell you early on, I felt I could pretty much achieve just whatever I wanted to achieve. And it, it's interesting, though. I've got to share something with you. Uh, a, a self-made billionaire friend of mine uh, once used a reference to uh, cells. I'm in the room. And someone is commenting to him on his hustle principles, his leadership principles, his sales principles. And he go, and, and they said, oh, and I love the one where you, 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 you get told no 20 times until you get that final yes. Mm-hmm. And his exact response to this group, he was like, he goes, yep, sometimes you have to be slightly annoying like Larry in order to get the sale. I said, Hey, I'm right here in the room. He said, that's not an insult. He goes, he goes, you have to admit sometimes you're slightly annoying because you're so persistent and uh, that you, until you get the yes. So, yeah. but who do you think I got that from? Yeah. Old well, Zig Ziglar. Well, yeah. So when did that come in? When, when was the time that you got introduced to that message and started well, to embrace that? Well, here's the thing is even in, as a man in my fifties, fi- late fifties, I still have, Zig's sort of overall messages that 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 play in my head like a recording. So I uh, had worked in building swimming pools that summer we arrived in Dallas. But then when school started, I needed to get a job in that mall that had 10 cent hot dogs. Mm-hmm. I remember there was a shoe store that was looking for stockroom help. So I went and I became a stock boy at what was at the time a very popular lady shoe store. So I'm stocking shoes. The general manager there, remember, this is late 70s. The salespeople wanted to play Led Zeppelin mm-hmm. and Pink Floyd and Yes and Jethro Tull, all these rock bands during the break, in the break room. Yeah. He said, no, we're going to play Zig Ziglar tapes. Now, understand, I'm 16. I'm a teenager. I don't know. And I'm listening to him. And at first, I was against. I wanted music. I, you know, I'm in the back of the stock room. I'm young. I, you know, I'm stocking shoes. So let's groove to some music. But over time, I'm listening to Zig Ziglar, who has this, I would almost say, hypnotic voice. Uh, and you get drawn into the voice. And the tapes would play. Then he'd put in another tape. He'd play it again. Then he'd play it again, play it again, play it again. So it got ingrained in my head. And these were primarily sales and motivational tapes at the time. Probably, you know, if you look back in the 70s archives, but relevant today, guaranteed, very relevant today. Well, what happened though, Kevin, is one day on a Saturday, which is the biggest retail day in retail, way before Amazon and ordering off internet, and seven shoe salesmen didn't show up. So they were so shorthanded. The place was packed. They go, Larry, we've got to get you out on the sales floor. And they dressed me up and went across the street, bought me a shirt and a clip-on tie. And all of a sudden, I'm having to sell. I don't sell. I was petrified. But as I started helping people, one, I knew where all the shoes were and all the sizes. Mm -hmm. And then Zig's Little little messages of Zig Ziglar are coming in where getting people to nod their head up and down, getting people to say, ask questions, get a yes response. And, and just the way I was treating people was I, I had only one sales trainer in my life, and it was those tapes. But here's the kicker. 
at the end of the day, see salespeople make commission. I made 9% commission on my sales versus four bucks an hour. Mm -hmm. I had the largest sales volume on a Saturday that anyone could have remembered in years. Do you think that they had me stock shoes after Mm -hmm. that? Even though I was 16 years old, I worked part-time. I came after school Monday, Wednesday, Friday and worked all day Saturday. I was a part-time employee from the time I sold my first shoe. I was never below one or two in total sales volume at that store, which I was there for all the way up until I graduated high school. That's my Zigzor. And by the way, I got to share that with Zig Ziglar in person, face-to-face, one-on-one. And But here's the bigger story. The bigger story is me understanding through those early, uh, init- those, those tapes in the beginning is not only what Zig taught me in sales, but that there are leaders in life. There are people with powerful messages. Your own thoughts and your own words are powerful. What you say about yourself, what you believe about yourself are powerful. That it led to me becoming a student of some of the most impactful speakers of that generation, all the way from Anthony Robbins to uh, uh, Tom Hopkins and Brian mm-hmm. Tracy. So, so you'll love this. You know, by the by, the early '80s, I'm on talk radio. That's a story in itself. I've been doing my own radio show for thirty some odd years, and in the early days of talk radio, these these same speakers would come to the city and they'd do these big events. Guess what I would do? I'd volunteer to announce yeah. them to the crowd. Yeah. Why would I do that? Because then I got to go backstage and rub elbows and shake hands and pick their brains. Yeah. So, in essence. It started when I sold my first shoe and it has never stopped because the other thing that I learned is you always are learning. We go through different generations as men and women and the different phases we go into cause us to have to learn and rethink and retool and adjust the way we think and our wants, our desires, our goals tend to shift and change too. So I'm still on a path and on a journey. One more thing I need to share with you. There's probably the single most impactful thing that I personally got from Zig Ziglar was the handing of the baton. Do they still talk about that? Where, where me as a young man, I would latch on to people that I admired and I would hand them the leadership baton. So that person would be my role model for whatever time period and for whatever reason. And then when that, that lesson was either learned or accomplished, I would go on to another leader or someone. And let me tell you, some of the people that I've handed the baton to influence me, uh, self-made billionaire Darwin Deason, Ross Perot Sr. I've sat in his office face-to-face many times with him. Norm Brinker of Brinker International, may he, his soul rest in peace. So, so that was a big, big thing that, that Zig personally taught me is you as a man will find leadership mm-hmm. in other people, find the right mentors, the right leaders. Hey, that's the first time I met Zig. I walked into the headquarters and I got to see that, uh, that we all hear about if we read his books, that, that wall of fame. Yeah, incredibly impacting to me. I've got to have people influencing my life. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Well, 
But when you look at your motive, you know, early on, so you were driven from an early age. And as you look at that and you took that into starting your first business and took that into this media world that you came into, and then even up to now, give us a little journey on what motivated you back then, back then and how it's changed and morphed and evolved to today. Well, I was never a really good student, and uh, but I did go to the community college in, in North Texas. It was called Richland College, and uh, ironically, it's the number two community college in the nation, and uh, I they had a sort of career day. I'm probably 18, 19 years old, and they had aptitude tests that you could take, aptitude to find out what kind of profession mm-hmm. you would be best suited for. And then also what type of management style you might be best uh, influenced by. So I took the test the next day I show up and they told me the best occupations for me was not a lawyer, but a legal assistant, not a dentist, but a dental assistant, uh, not a architect, but a draftsman. So nothing was of the, 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 the higher job occupation is usually the assistant to the person that was going to be really successful. Then under the management style, they they, they said, it clearly says that I'm unmanageable. So I have an unmanageable personality. So, well, where does that leave me? So I I knew early on that if I was going to be successful in the fields that I wanted to be successful in, I I I better have my own business because I'm probably not going to be one geared to other people's style of leadership or management had to create my own style sort of back then, not anymore, but the rules that I followed were the ones that I made up. Well, that's a good reason to go into business for yourself. There you just described entrepreneurship. You know, and I know in this world of fitness that you have become such a, a big name in, I also saw just as much content about you as an entrepreneur. I mean, your specific story of what you yeah. did in business. Well, I got to tell you a story. So um, what I love about this format is I have the time to share some meaningful stories mm-hmm. with you. So. Uh, well, I, I was unmanageable. I still had to work and I still had jobs. And so I had lots of jobs and one of, you know, I told you I sold shoes in the afternoon. I also bounced in bars. Uh, I trained people. I worked in gyms at all at early ages and usually never less than two or three jobs at a time. One of those jobs was a bouncer at a, at a bar called Monopolies, which was very popular in the early eighties in Dallas. And they were open till four in the morning. So I would always volunteer to work that shift. By the way, I, I adhere to some very simple, basic, raw suggestions when it comes to being successful. One, show up early, leave late, volunteer for everything you could possibly do. And two words I've already used, persistence and perseverance, mm-hmm. will get you very far in whatever your chosen occupation is. So one of these days, Kevin, it's, it's, I, I would volunteer to work till four because no one else wanted to. And I made extra money, maybe 30, 40 bucks cash money. But in order to get out of the bar, I had to help clean up. In other words, we'd be there till six in the morning if someone didn't roll up their sleeves and grab a mop. One day I'm mopping up the floor in the, in the, in the bathroom of a bar that's open till four. I can only tell you it's disgusting. Yeah. And the owner comes in, the managing partner comes in because he counts the money. He had to go to the bathroom and then he leaves. And his name was Ross Todd. I said, hey, Mr. Todd, as I'm mopping up, I said, hey, I just want to thank you. He goes, for what? For this job. This is the best job I've ever had in my life. Thank you. And he looked at me like I was out of my mind. Now, five years later, in 1989, I opened my very first gym. 
Do you know who his first employee was? His wife. My first employee was his wife as my personal assistant. The Nancy Todd, the sexy Nancy that used to come into the nightclub was my first hire. One day he comes into the office and he, he's just, you know, we're chit-chatting. We're all friendly. And he goes, Larry, I got to, why did you BS me years ago? I, what are you talking? I didn't even know what he was talking about. He goes, you're mopping vomit and who knows what else. And you're telling me that that's the best job you ever had. And why did you lie to me like that? I said, with the, I said, well, first of all, right in front of your wife, I'm going to tell you, it was the best job. At that moment in time, Ross, do you know how important that I had to put gas in my car, food on the table. I had to help my mother out. I had to help my brothers out. I had to pay my rent every week. That was such a great job at the time I had it. It was by far the best job I ever had at that moment in time. But also true, Ross, every job I've ever had was the best job I ever had because I guarantee I wouldn't have shown up for work if I didn't need it. So I've always deeply appreciated the person that strokes the check. But I got to tell you the story. Here's a story I really have, was hoping I could share with you. My, my mom had cancer and she has survived. She'll be 85 uh, this year. She's in great health, but at the time she wasn't. So my twin brother, Alan, went with her to California and my other twin lived with me. He was 16. So I'm taking on the role of taking care of a teenager. We lived in a not so good apartment in a not so good neighborhood. One of the neighborhoods that uh, delivery services wouldn't go to your apartment complex. Let's put it that way. And one day I run up the three flights of stairs and I've got a document in my hand and a new piece of furniture downstairs for the apartment. Mind you, we had a mattress in each bedroom, mattress in each bedroom. And I come up and I said, Adam, I need you to help me with this new piece of furniture. It's a treadmill. And he helps me lift it up. We get in the apartment. I go, Adam, you know what this is? I just signed a lease for a gym. It's not just a gym. It's the gym I've been talking about my whole life. The gym that I said that is going to be the best gym, the cleanest gym, the best equipped gym. And guess what? It's in the most prestigious shopping center, maybe in the country, the Highland Park Village. He looks at me and goes, big brother, how, how are you going to open a gym without any money? I said, I'll be back in a few hours. We'll talk about it then. I leave. I go run errands. I come back. My brother has positioned the treadmill where he could see himself in his own bathroom. He's got tidy whities and sneakers on, nothing else. And he's jogging. I go, what are you doing? He goes, big brother, if you're going to open up a gym, I got to lose this fat. So he, I said, fine. I said, but listen, right now, I, I need to talk to you. And I said, let's sit in the living room. Let's sit down. We no furniture. We literally sit down in a floor in the living room. And I said, Adam. I need your help. You're going to have to help me. I can't do this gym by myself. Now, never from this moment forward will we let lack of anything stop us from pursuing our dreams. I signed a lease and you're right. I don't have any money. And, but you know what? Lack of a proper upbringing, lack of people believing on us, lack of genetic ability, lack of a particular IQ, lack of ability to go to major colleges, and lack of money is never going to stop me ever. And it should never stop you. So I said, little brother, you help me live my dream. And I promise I'll help you live yours. What's your dream, Adam? Tell me your dream. Without hesitation, he says, Big brother, I want to retire when I'm 35. I want to travel the world and I want to live the good life. Like he had it rehearsed in his mind. 
He knew, I'm going to retire at 35. I'm going to travel the world and I'm going to live the good life. I said, okay. Well, that night, everybody has this moment, usually more than once, where you're laying in your bed and you're looking up at a white ceiling and you're thinking, what have I just done? Mm -hmm. How am I going to figure this out? What am I going to do to do this? Well, I figured it out. You know, I, we don't have enough time to tell all these amazing, wonderful entrepreneurial stories that led to the opening of the first gym. In less than a week, Kevin, is my 29th year anniversary in my gyms in a highly competitive environment, and we still punch and kick and, and thrive. Now, here's the best part. My brother Adam worked with me until I got that gym open, and then he had to go and do his own thing. But I've always been there for him in guidance and in love. And God, he's such a precious human being. He didn't retire at 35. He retired at 36. He didn't travel the world once. He's traveled the world 10 times and currently lives in Tulum, Mexico, where he's building his first home at age 47. So the, 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 it, it's such a... We, he and I sit down and we talk about because we remember being in that not so good apartment with those mattresses. And we knew that it's not that we wanted to be like multi, multi, multi millionaires. We just wanted joy and peacefulness and happiness. And that's what we've always thrived for versus uh, a paycheck or, 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 or a number. And so that led to a lot. Opening that first gym, radio global infomercial, writing books. But, but I want to share something with you that I think you'll appreciate. I wasn't an academic, but I was a, I was a reader. I did read. And the community college I went to, ranked number two in the nation, I get a call from one of my instructors, one of my, my, my professors just last year, saying, Larry, we do something very special here. And we only nominate several people and we only award one or two per year for our wall of fame. Hmm. I'd like to put your name up for the wall of fame. And it was so emotional because there were hundreds of people that show up and there were three people that actually made the wall of fame. The other two were literally uh, 4.0 GPAs, masters, PhDs, but they also put me on the wall of fame of, of, uh, of that college. So that was pretty cool. That's, that's amazing. I, and I want to come back to some of the stuff that you talked about, but I also want to jump for a second, you know, since that time, now here you are business owner, you've done an amazing amount of things business wise with, with your media, uh, endeavors with your gyms, you have led so many people you're involved with so many, I, I I'm sure just countless employees, uh, you know, partners, people that you're with. So when you look at that drive, when you look at those assets for your own success that you utilize, that you harness, that you got some from Zig, you got some from the, the trials of your youth and you come forward today, where is your passion to impart to people those things that they need so that they can also have their personal successes? You know, we, we go through it a lot. Uh, I, I, I share these same messages in lots of them and lots of material. I, I give books away to my people that I think will be impactful. I have one-on-one -on -one sit downs with people to talk about what's important to them. What are their dreams? What are their goals? Uh, people ask often, well, what is different about your organization versus others? And it's a very simple answer. I, the way I treat people, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I come from a very heart space, love space, high accountability though. You have to be accountable in order to be in this organization. But uh, I give people a lot of autonomy and I try to be uh, someone that gives a lot of wisdom and, and gives good feedback to people so that they can thrive and give them as much latitude as they need to be able to thrive. And it's allowed me to be very diverse. So, so the one thing that I'm huge on is relationships. You know, how you pe- treat people, ultimately, you just never know. You don't know who the person you're shaking hands with at that nightclub and t- treating them like a VIP and when that can come back to you later on in life or just uh, reputation is everything. I, I, I have an amazing Rolodex of of relationships across the country that I can call on. And like one of my most successful friends has said before that he's stunned at my network and that I can contact those people and that they would actually return my call, happily do me a favor because of the the power of reciprocity. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, I I teach all kinds of lessons, you know, loyalty being a two way street, having a happy to do it environment, uh, it, it just, uh, and we're dealing with different generations too. I've got baby boomers that work with me that also are members. I've got Gen Xers, I've got millennials. So you almost have to sort of adjust the messaging based on who you're talking to as well. So you talk about giving books away, name two top books you give away. Uh, one I gave, I did give St- Stephen Covey's, uh, just yesterday I gave Stephen Covey's, uh, uh, seven habits of highly effective people because I still think it's relevant. And I gave his son's book, uh, the power of trust. Mm-hmm. That was just yesterday. Okay. Uh, my son, uh, my stepson, uh, recently gave him, uh, the millionaire next door cause he's starting to make a lot of money. And I want him to understand that, you know, he went and bought a expensive Rolex watch and I'm like, Landon, I didn't, I didn't raise you to do that. I mean, you can buy a Rolex, you can afford it, but remember that millionaire next door, he wears a Seiko tells the same time yeah. he doesn't. And I saw him with a fancy $2,000 sort of jacket. I'm like, man, that's nice. But you know what? You, you know, I, I, the suit I bought at men's warehouse fits me just as nice. And, and I, and we live in a modest house. It's a good neighborhood, but I'm, I'm trying to teach him like yeah. these, these important values that don't get caught up that, that money is, you know, listen, I'll quote someone for you. Money can buy you a house, but it won't buy you a home. Money can buy you a bed, but it won't buy you a good night's sleep. So I try to instill those same Zig Ziglar values to especially the people that I love. Yeah. So you have talked about multiple kind of turning points and pivotal times in your story. And you ultimately went from, yeah, mopping vomit up in the gym to open or or in a nightclub to opening your own gym. And then further beyond that, what was a big break in your story as you look? I have a, I have a lot of them uh, actually. So what's really fascinating is every break I've had was sort of spawned out of some sort of failure. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you a great example. Uh, I end up getting an opportunity to do an infomercial. Now, back in the 80s and 90s, infomercials were very big. They're big now, too. But in the 90s, especially, media costs were pretty low, and they were always looking for the next big, big thing in the infomercial world. And I end up, think about this, Guthy Ranker was the biggest infomercial. It probably still is the biggest company. And Bill Guthy, Greg Ranker, I know them very well. They know me very well. They decided to pull the trigger and shoot a show with me. And I was thrilled. I mean, this was going to be a big, big break. 
and the show based on what their criteria was failed, Mm. failed. They just chose to not roll it out. It wasn't getting the numbers they wanted, but the producer who did, who was a outsourced producer named Jack Kirby, he believed in me, believed in the message and he felt that it could have been tweaked for bigger success. So long story short, I figured out a way to do something that Greg Ranker and Guthy Ranker would never do again and never did up until then. They sold me the rights to that show for a very small amount of money. I then got with that executive producer, said, hey, I got the show. Do you really still you commit, think you, do you still think you can make it work? He said, I know I can make it work. We reshot it. We renamed it from the Reveal the Thin from Within to the Great North American Slim Down. And in six weeks, it was number one on the infomercial charts. It remained a top 10 infomercial for nine years throughout the entire 90s. It aired somewhere every minute of the day for an entire decade. And it was number one in Australia, New Zealand, and Canada simultaneously. And here's what also is better about the whole story is the product was superb. It wasn't a widget or a gadget or a gadget. It was intellectual property. It was a 21-day program. It was a seven-day size down. It was recipes. It was an eating out guide. It was an inspirational video. Now, remember, this is cassettes, VHS, a little bit old school. Today, it would have been a global, global sensation, but it did over $150 million in revenue. And then, of course, you know, uh, my first book, Get Fit, uh, I got 13 rejection letters from publishers. On the 13th letter, I was really discouraged and upset. And my literary agent said, are you kidding me? Most publishers don't even give you a letter. They just throw it in a waste paper basket. You at least get a rejection letter. On the 14th letter, a small publisher in Fort Worth decided to publish my book, Get Fit. It remained on the regional bestsellers list for 156 straight weeks. So sometimes you can't, you just, listen, if we're going to get punched or knocked down or disappointed and give up, uh, then we're not going to have those successes. So uh, even the first gym, I, I, you know, listen, I'm in my twenties, had no business experience. I had to learn and make a lot of mistakes and I'm still making mistakes. The thing is, I, I, I wake up every morning and I sort of, in, in this case, I get to share some of the past success, but mm-hmm. I don't carry them with me on my back each day. And nor do I uh, carry my failures from the past either. Every day is a new day. Stay humble, stay hungry, and, and, and look to make something new happen. The other thing that's real exciting is that at, even at 57, because I chose this occupation of fitness and inspiration, I'm still relevant. I'm in, I'm in phenomenal shape right now. I'm 57 and I've got clear defined abs, which is sort of cool, I guess. But what makes it cool is it's, it, I'm still relevant that I could still help people. I could still mentor people. And I'm looking for the next fitness inspirer as well. Uh, that, that let them go do their thing. That one more thing I want to share with you is I, I mentor a lot of people. I mentor friends, uh, children's, I mean, uh, kids of my friends. I mentor people at work. I get calls and emails all the time. And I'm always happy to help because one thing Zig did tell me, he said, when you, if you want to have massive success, help others become successful. Mm-hmm. 
And that's been a big model of mine that I, I really, I, I was trying to add up the other day of how many people that have worked for me and then have gone on to start their own business. And I, I started losing count. So you, amongst all this, the drive, the motivation, the ups and the downs, I mean, was there a time that you found yourself at a uh, discouraged, it was almost surprising from where you had come from, what you're doing that you had to admit you're, you're discouraged, uh, what was happening and what did you do to get out of that? Well, how about, let's go back to the original story I told you Mm -hmm. about my brother and I sitting in the living room. The next day I wake up. I got to start this gym process. I signed a lease. I think the first thing I ought to do is at least get a bank account. Mm-hmm. I visited with my mother who I didn't even bring it up. I get to my mother's house. She has a check for $5,000 to hand me. I go, mom, what is this? She goes, it's my life savings. Wow. I go, mom, what are you doing? So it's all the money you have. She goes, I, I want to give it to you because I-, I believe in you. I said, mom, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to take it. I'm, I'm going to need to put it in the bank because I don't have any money in the bank. I, I, I then make an appointment to go to the bank. I, I, I'm a little bit of a time freak. I like to be on time. I had an appointment at the bank. I wanted to be on time. It starts raining very profusely and the traffic's bumper to bumper. Well, why is there traffic on a day and time there shouldn't be traffic? There's a car accident and someone's car got totaled. And I see the person walking around like they got hit on the head. It's my brother. Oh. Told his car the next day. And he's almost he's in tears. He paid all the he worked hard to get this used car. They're towing it on the tow truck. I said, Adam, get in the car with me and we'll go to the bank. We'll take care of your car later. Okay. It's gonna be okay. It's all right. We start driving, and I drove a car at that time that when you got gas, you needed oil and you needed water. All right. And I don't know why. But it started raining so hard that you couldn't see three or four feet in front of you. And on my side of the car, the sunroof caved in. I'm wearing the only suit I own, and the water's just poured all over me. I mean, I can't, it, there's just water, like a waterfall falling in my car. And my brother used to joke, he goes, you can touch your finger in between the water coming down, like, you know, like it splashes down. I'm soaking wet. I'm so angry. I'm so upset. I'm so frustrated. I'm on my way to the bank. I, I, I literally pushed the, the brake so hard that the car spun around like two or three times. I'm in the middle of an intersection. I get out of the car and I'm in the middle of the intersection. People are honking and I'm looking up and I'm screaming and I'm saying not so nice words. I'm, a, 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 I'm intense and I'm wanting, I'm, I'm saying, why? What is this lesson? Tell me, it's day one on this business. What is the lesson? What is the plan? Why are you doing this to me? And I became a victim for a moment, Mm -hmm. but ultimately I had to get back back to the bank and I had to settle my affairs and I had to do things. But yeah, I was discouraged the very first day. And yeah, there are going to be setbacks. There's going to be roadblocks. I'll tell you this. I told you that I set out on a journey with my mother, but I didn't tell you this part. The car broke down in New Jersey from New York. So I tell people every journey that you go on, I'm going to assure you of several things. There will be a mechanical breakdown. There will be a road detour. There will be a roadblock. There will be credit cards that no longer work. There will be ATM machines that are busted, but the journey must continue. So my journey is still continuing. Luckily, it's a little bit smoother riding car that doesn't require, it's electric now, so it doesn't require any gas or or, or oil. So what's next? 
you've done so much, and yet here you are, 57, as relevant as ever. Obviously, you're not lacking in passion and drive now. What What's next for you? You know what? It's it's open. Uh, I, uh, I, I do quite a bit right now. I, I am an actual employee of the largest tax recovery company in the world. Why? Because I'm a connector. I connected them with some big, big businesses. They became big accounts. They it gave me a built-in annuity for the rest of my life with this company. They'll probably buy me out of it sometime soon. Uh, I work for a private equity company. Why? Because I'm a relationship person, and now I love doing something that I've always done: is connecting people with 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 private equity opportunities. I still run my businesses because it's my passion. I hope to be. My goal is 50 years in business. Mm-hmm. I think by the time I'm 50, that's time to. I just sold one of my clubs to a former employee that I thought was a nice handing of the baton, a uh, young man, bright, capable. Uh, I, I, I've got a lot of things that I still want to accomplish. Write another book, uh, get involved with people like you, where, you know, what kind of, uh, what can I extrapolate out of my own journey that would help others? And, uh, and, and I'm doing that. Well, hey, thank you for being here on this show and letting us be a part of the journey. And I'm grateful that this isn't the end. We're going to end this show and I want to do the next one, the habits and get a little bit more into your personal life. But, uh, man, just thank you. Thanks for sharing your heart here and being, of course, uh, zig up in heaven is looking down and you are carrying the torch and continuing that legacy. That's why you're on the show. Well, I, I can't thank you enough. It's been a pleasure. And I do, you know, it, it, if there's ever an opportunity to come uh, back on the show, there's some things and messages on, on forgiveness and on discipline that I think that you would really like. And I know Zig would really like them as well, too. Well, there you go. Uh, we got an invitation for you and we'll make it happen again. Larry, thank you for being with us today. My pleasure. Thank you. Have a beautiful day and a beautiful weekend. Okay, friends. I mean, Larry inspires me really a lot like Zig. He's just so real. It makes me feel that if he can do it, so can I. Again, connect with him more at LarryNorthFitness.com. If you got value from the show, would you please let Larry know? Leave a review in iTunes. Mention this specific show and what he said that inspired you. And hit the subscribe button if you would. Well, coming up next in show 584, we hear a message from Zig Ziglar about the difference in price versus cost. If you have a product, service, or message you believe is worth more than just the lowest price, you'll want to hear this message. From it, I posted our weekly Facebook question at my Agent K. Miller Facebook page where I invite you to join in. This question, though, for those of you involved in providing a premium product or service, meaning not just selling on the cheapest price, how do you sell the higher cost value? Well, I had Michelle Prince join me to talk through the comments as she spends so much of her time helping authors differentiate their books and offering them in a compelling way. Uh, We got so many replies, of course, and you want to join us to hear this. It's something that relates to pretty much all of us, I think. Well, till then, thank you, as always, for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.